Lord Jesus, we just acknowledge the holiness, the worthiness of who you are. So tonight, Lord Jesus, we are humbled that you would allow us to feed on your word and on your spirit. Do not let this simply be an exercise of intellect, but Father, cause our lives to be transformed by what your sons accomplished for us at Calvary, by the power of your word and the dynamic movement of your spirit in our lives tonight. Father, we throw ourselves at your feet. We open our ears to hear. We open our hearts to receive. We surrender our feet to do. And when we say, come Holy Spirit, it is not a casual invitation, but it is a desperate cry. And we ask you to set us free from the chains of the past, the chains of sin. And we, we ask you to let us know what it's like to be free in Christ. Let us leave this house tonight transformed by the power of your spirit. For it is in the excellent name of Jesus that we ask. Amen. Well, I just have to put a plug in for BSM. We're about to start up our fall classes, and um, many of these classes are going to be available for audit. So we're going to be getting that information to you. So please think about auditing a class with us. We'd love to have you. We're going to have day and night classes. Um, we've got new students registering every day, so we're excited about that. God is faithful. Amen. What he has started, he will see through to completion. Amen. And um, for that, we say thank you, Lord. Well, tonight... I would like for us to look at what I call two priesthoods. Um, in the Old Testament, I'm not going to be able to stay still, so I might as well just get over it now. There we go. Much better. In the Old Testament, the concept of priesthood actually emerged when the children of Israel la left Egypt and came to the mountain of God to receive the tablets of the law. It was in the plan and scope of God at that point to make an entire nation a nation of priests. But something happened. They saw the flames of fire, they heard the thunders and the trumpet blast, and they saw the shaking of the mountain and the heavy clouds, and they looked at Moses, and they said, Moses, we don't want to go, you go for us. And Moses says, oh, don't be timid, these are just things to test you that you might fear the Lord. And they could not be persuaded to put aside their fear and to approach the mountain of God. Now I have to tell you, when I read that passage, I'm thinking, even if it cost me my life, I would have made an attempt. I mean, just think about it. You're right there and you're in the, you're in the very eyesight of the glory of God himself. If you're going to be afraid, that's not the moment. Push through. Be afraid of him. Be fearful and respectful of him. But that's the time to push through. I think that for so many of us, when God begins to move in our lives and it changes things, it changes our paradigms. It changes the way we perceive reality and perceive ourselves. It gets scary because we've always identified ourselves as that person back there. And when God begins to transform us, it becomes scary because then we don't know how to identify ourselves. So I have, over the last 30 years of my Christianity, I have seen people when God began that transforming work in their lives, they would become fearful and pull back. I don't want this because I can't control that. Get over it. He is God, and you cannot control him. 
Let him do his work in your life and let him mold you and form you into the son and daughter that he has always destined you to be. So at that point, because Israel would not draw near to God, Moses came down and, and a tribe, the tribe of the Levites, were appointed to be Israel's priest. They were going to be the ones to carry out the legal functions as well as the liturgical functions before the people and God. They were going to carry out all the sacrifices. They were going to approve and actually initiate the sacrifices. They were going to remind and initiate the festivals. And so they were to handle, the priests were to actually act as, um, as an arbitrator of sorts between man and God. But what God really wanted was for only one to stand between himself and his people, and that one being Jesus Christ. But that's how the priesthood was formed and why the priesthood was formed. By the time you get to the book of 1 Samuel, there's already some issues. Eli and his two wicked sons are doing despicable, detestable things in the name of the Lord. They are taking advantage of the women who serve in the temple area. When someone brings their sacrifice of meat, they take the choice cuts for themselves and will, and actually it's recorded in 1 Samuel, have a fist fight with any worshiper who challenged them and said, but this is for the Lord and this is the way it's supposed to be done. These men did wicked in the sight of the Lord. So in 1 Samuel, if you'll turn with me there, chapter 2, You guys are getting there before me tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 27 through 36. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus the Lord has said, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Verse 30. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming. Whenever you read in scripture and you hear that phrase, behold, the days are coming, pay special attention to it. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress, you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this and this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest 
You shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. This is our first introduction of scripture of the idea of two priesthoods. We know that our God is a separating God. You don't have to get past Genesis, the first chapter, to see that God separates. He separates light from day, land from sea, sky from earth. God is a separating God. And if you have never experienced God separating you from those things which are unhonoring and displeasing to him, breathe in and out long enough because he will do that because he is a separating God. He separated Abraham and his family from all the other families of the earth. He separated the tribe of Judah that from the tribe of Judah, Messiah might come. God is a separating God. Always has been, always will be. But what God is doing, he's not separating us from, he's separating us to himself. And as he separates us unto himself, that requires a separation from the things around us. So the closer we get to the Lord, the more serious and passionate we are about his presence and our relationship with him, the more that we find things are separating themselves from us. Old friends don't want to be around us anymore. Things that we used to do and places that we used to go are no longer a part of our life. And that's a part of that transforming work of grace that God does in our life and thank him for it. We are all in process and every one of us in this room that know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are being transformed from glory to glory, from faith to faith and from strength to strength until we all appear before him. So praise the Lord for that. So this is our first introduction to the idea of two priesthoods. Immediately, this, de this declaration is fulfilled with the raising up of Samuel as a priest. So you have the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood of Eli, and then you have God raising Samuel up to be a priest unto him, and Samuel's going to be faithful. So immediately, that scripture is fulfilled with Samuel. But in the, in the near future, it's going to be fulfilled by a man named Zadok. And in the ultimate distant future, from the time of the writing of 1 Samuel, it's going to be fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it should be noted that God is a God of separation. There are two distinct priesthoods. And even within the church of the 21st century, we find that there are always two distinct priesthoods. We find that there are those who are passionate about their relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we find those who are passionate about building their own kingdom. We find that there are those who are passionate for holiness and committed to walk in integrity before God and before man. And then we find those who are deceptive and manipulative, always working an angle to get what they want out of the situation. And I know that I don't have to give examples. None of us have to look far to see those two dynamics working in our culture right now. Let's examine three places in history where these two priesthoods were drawn into distinction. The first one I've already read for you, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 27 through 36. This is what the unrighteous priests did. Listen to this. They honored their sons above God. They put what was theirs above God. 
That doesn't mean we shouldn't love our children. That doesn't mean we shouldn't sacrifice on behalf of our children. But that does mean that we should never let anything nor anyone interrupt our relationship with the Lord. We should never honor anything nor anyone above the Lord. The second thing, and I think we see this more often, he fattened himself on the Lord's offering. Instead of taking what was given to them, and at that point in time, the offerings would have been offerings of meat and grain and other items. Instead of taking those offerings and giving them to the Lord, putting them into the storehouse of the temple, and taking what the Lord had declared for them to have, they were taking it all for themselves. And they were fattening themselves. They were lining their own purses and coffers with that which had been offered to the Lord. I tell you, church, it is a fearful thing to inflate your own self at God's expense. Whether it's your ego, your banking account, your area of influence, or your sense of power, we are called as men and women to humbly serve the Lord God and to build into his kingdom and not to build into our own. I know this is hard for some of you to hear because this is so contrary to everything that seems to be voiced out there. But we are not about us. We are about him. It's not about building something for myself. It's about building something for him and being a part of a fruit that remains. So generations after I've gone home to be with Jesus, there is something of his kingdom that I invested in that will remain. And that should be the passion and the cry of each of our hearts. I'm in my early 50s, and it's becoming a more passionate cry for me with every passing year. But I know people, and so do you, who are not interested in leaving or doing anything for the kingdom of God. It's all about me, and it's all about right now. And my heart breaks for those people because someday all those things will burn up, and when they stand before the Lord, they will stand with empty hands. Okay, I've, I've scared you guys now, haven't I? <laughs> Breathe, it's okay. But he fattened himself on the Lord's offerings. This is what the Lord's going to do. I'm going to cut off your strength. Now, in the Old Testament, the idea of strength is not just physical strength, but a man's strength was in his lineage, was in his sons. And so for God to say, I'm going to cut off your strength, he's saying, I'm not going to give you any heirs. Everything's going to end with you. I'm going to cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house. And the most fearful thing of all, you will no longer be able to move freely in and out of the Lord's presence. The Levites were the most privileged of people. They were the only ones that were able to minister in the Lord's presence and the high priest in the Holy of Holies once a year. But they were the most privileged of people while everyone else had to stand back and watch. They got to go in. And God's saying it won't happen anymore. I will not allow you to move in and out of my presence freely. But for the faithful priest, this is what the faithful priest does, honors the Lord. Honors the Lord with what they say, with what they do, with the choices that they make. A few weeks ago, Stuart and I were driving to Tennessee, and we were having this conversation, and I said to him, you know, I have you know, normal choices every day and normal amount of temptations, but 
I don't seem to be tempted by these overwhelming things like, you know, some of the people that I talk to are telling me that they're being overwhelmed with temptation by all these things. I'm like, you know, I praise God. And this is what my husband said to me. He said, when you make the right choices every day, it helps you to avoid the big stuff. He said, big stuff doesn't just happen one day. Big stuff is, a, is daily refusing to choose the Lord. And if you daily choose to refuse, and you daily refuse to choose the Lord, then that's when all the big stuff begins to bombard you. And that just made so much sense. So much of the counseling and ministry that I do with people is trying to help them to overcome the big stuff and to help them to realize you're going to have to make one right choice at a time. You didn't get into this mess in a day. You're probably not going to get out of it in a day. What we want is this long journey to this climactic sin and then for somebody to give us an instant fix for it. I mean, isn't that, isn't that what our culture is all about? You know, it took me 10 years to get here, but I expect God to get me out of it in three minutes. Make it two and a half. When the truth of the matter is, God can and does instantly deliver us. But walking through that is a process. And every day you make the choice. Some days those choices are extremely hard. But I tell you this, you make the right choice day after day after day. And you will wake up in the near future and it won't be that hard for you anymore. Because you have committed your heart and you have committed the way that you walk and live your life to the Lord. They honor the Lord. It is one thing to honor God with your mouth, but it is a totally different thing to honor him with your life. We are good at honoring God with our lips, but we are lacking in honoring him with our life. It's called lip service. Sometimes we think that if we say it, it's as good as if we have already done it. But saying and doing are two different things. There are people who parade around saying that they can do all kinds of marvelous things and then you actually buy into it, put them in the place to do it, and they fall flat on their face because somewhere between what they have said and what they are able to deliver, there's a disconnect. And I am concerned that Christianity has said things with her mouth and the world has seen something else with our lives. And it's not only damaged our relationship with the Lord, it's damaged the world's perception of the Lord Jesus Christ. Honor the Lord, not just with what you say, but with the way that you live your life, with your thought life, with those hidden moments when no one is watching. Honor God at all times. That is a part of a transforming experience in your life. The faithful priests, they honor the Lord. They obey his commandments. How many of you have ever said, oh, I just want to know what the Lord wants me to do? I just want to know, what is the will of the Lord for my life? Well, it's real simple. Obey his commandments. If you obey his commandments and the things that you're doing on a regular basis are in line with his commandments, he'll show you the next stuff. See, we want God to give us some dynamic, oh, you're going to go to this part of the world and have this kind of a big ministry, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. We want to hear those kind of dynamic things, and God definitely wants to use us in some dynamic ways, but the dynamic doesn't come until the daily's in place. Because when the dynamic comes and there's no daily, it is dangerous for you and the people that you minister to. Keep his commandments. Honor the Lord. Another thing that the faithful priest does is that they are men, and I'll include women, after his heart. 
What that means to be after the heart of God simply means that you love what God loves, you honor what God honors, and you hate what God hates. To be after the heart of God is to want him more than anything else, to love what he loves. I am not a Civil War fan. I never have been. But my husband has read every Civil War book that he has ever gotten his hands on. We have literally hundreds of Civil War books. And even though, again, I am not a fan of Civil War, I have gone with him to every Civil War battlefield from Vicksburg to Gettysburg. And I know far more about the Civil War than I would ever care to repeat. But I'll tell you this, I love it because he loves it. And I love him. If you love Jesus, you'll love the things he loves. You can't say you love Jesus but hate his church. Because Jesus loves his church. As messy and mixed up as we can be, Jesus still loves his church. You can't say, I love Jesus, but his church is a mess and stinks. Even though sometimes there might be some truth in that. Jesus loves his church. We are the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in all of our messiness, he still loves us and paid for us with his own blood. We're going to love what God loves. Jesus loves his Holy Spirit. You can't say you love Jesus, but you don't like the Holy Spirit. You can't say you love Jesus, but you don't like his word. Those things just do not mix. If you are after the heart of God, you will love what he loves, honor what he honors, and hate what he hates. These faithful priests, because they have honored the Lord, obeyed his commands, and they are people after his heart, they are going to be able to move freely in and out of the presence of the Lord. Now, in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 24 through 29, we have another distinction between the priesthood. Get to 2 Samuel here. I have my little Bible with me tonight, and the pages do not turn so easily. I have new glasses. They're those progressives. When I look up top, it's normal, but when I look down at the bottom, it's like readers, so I don't have to take them off and put them on all the time. Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 24 through 29. And Abiathar came up, and behold, Zadok came also with all the Levites bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set down the Ark of God until the people had all passed out of the city. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me both see it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, are you not a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your two sons, Ahimaaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will, I will wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. All right, here's the setting. Absalom has risen up in rebellion against David. Absalom has manipulated the people and won the hearts and the favor of many of the people, even to the point to where David feared for his life and left with the city with some of his faithful followers so that Absalom would not kill him. 
Absalom has defiled the concubines of David and has made no issue about the fact that he wants the kingship for himself. So David is now running for his life from his own son. It's one thing to run from an enemy, but when you have to fear a family member and the anger and the hate of a family member, that is a sermon all by itself that far too many of us could preach. So David has run from Absalom or left the city, and here comes the two priests, Abiathar and Zadok. Now, the first thing you got to ask is, why are there two priests? There's only supposed to be one high priest that ministers in the presence of the Lord, and that would have been Abiathar because he is from the Levitical line. So where did this Zadok come from? This is our first introduction to this man named Zadok. Now, there are all kinds of great academic theories about who Zadok is. Some people believe that he really is a Levite and he was a little misplaced and got connected to Israel. Some people think that he was a Canaanite who fell in love with the presence of God. When I look at the whole of what the Old Testament does with the person of Zadok, I am convinced I don't know where Zadok came from, but I don't think he was a Levite because there's just too much intertextual material that says this man is somewhere that he's really not supposed to be according to the law, which really excites me because how many of you are where no one thought you would ever be? How many of us are in places that no one ever thought we would have a right to be in because of where we were born, who we were born to, and the conditions and circumstances of our life and our birth? I connect with Zadok because according to all the statistics and the Barner report, I shouldn't be here. According to those reports, I should have never finished high school. I should have gone through five or six marriages. I should be addicted to something, drugs or alcohol, something like that. According to those statistics, I should be on welfare. According to those statistics, I shouldn't even be alive right now. But when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, He rewrote my destiny. And I was no longer bound by the statistics of man. I became a part of the kingdom of God. And I started running after Jesus. I wasn't running after positions. I wasn't running after anything but him. When you run after Jesus, you'll look back at some point in your life and you go, we came from there? Who is that person? What was that event? It's not about setting as a goal, okay, I have as a goal, I'm going to get a PhD, I'm going to be a professor, I'm going to do this and this and this and this. That should never be the goal. The goal should always be, I'm running after Jesus. And when you're running after Jesus, he will add to you those things that are needed for you to accomplish his plans in your life. I connect with Zadok. Zadok's not supposed to be there. He's not supposed to be ministering to the Ark of the Covenant. He has no legal right. He wasn't born into the right family. He didn't receive the right training. But he is a man that has found himself in that position, not by law, but by relationship. I will say this and shout it from the rooftops. When the law can't help you, relationship will. I should not be born again by the spirit of the living God. I am a part of the Gentiles and I should have been ignored by God. But... Because God wanted a relationship with me, he did what had to be done so I could be a daughter of the Most High God. 
Even as Christians, we are where we never should have been, left to ourselves and our own devices. According to the law, we should be condemned. But because of grace and relationship with Jesus Christ, he has broken our fall, and now we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Not because we deserve it. Not because we were intended to be there by natural means, but we are there because we are in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. If I could say and leave any one thing with you tonight, it's this. Stop pursuing all this other stuff and just pursue the Son of God. And when you pursue the Son of God, and how do you do that? Because I'm a practical person. Pursue the Son of God, that sounds very emotional and fuzzy. Let me tell you how you pursue Him. You honor Him with your word, with your life. You honor his word and keep his commandments. And you let your heart be toward him. You love what he loves and you hate what he hates. Doesn't that sound like the faithful priest? Exactly. That's how you pursue the Son of God. Worship, word, fellowship, obedience, commitment. Honoring him in every point of our lives. So here's Zadok and here's Abiathar. And David says to to Zadok, Zadok, you are not only a priest, but you are also a seer or a prophet. You are a man that God speaks to. You see things in the realm of the Spirit. Go back to the city and take the Ark of the Covenant with you. In other words, David is saying, Zadok, it's more important for us to protect and honor the presence of God than it is for me to get my kingdom back. That's huge. How many politicians and leaders would say the presence of God and the honor of God is more important to me than my position, even my own life. That's one of the things that makes David a man after God's own heart. Full of mistakes, full of failures, but yet a man who honored God, who honored his presence even above his own life. David says, Zadok, go back, take the ark, protect the ark, honor the ark. And if God wants me to return, I'll return. And if not, then I cast myself into his hands. That is a powerful statement, but Zadok Zadok does what David told him to do. Now, what does this tell us about Zadok? This is really our first introduction to Zadok. There are two priests, Zadok and Abiathar. Abiathar is certainly of Levitical lineage, and his main function seems to be that of carrying out the legal rituals. Zadok seems to be in charge of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is that ancient piece of furniture that represents the presence and the government of God. Now, I am careful to say presence and government because the government of God comes with his presence. If you think, oh, I just want the presence of the Lord, you don't get it without his government because the two come as, as, a, as, as a double deal. What is going on here? I think Amos chapter 9, verse 11, could shed some light on this. Amos, almost almost 200 years after this event takes place, Amos prophesies and says, I will restore the fallen tabernacle of David. What is the tabernacle of David? We know what the tabernacle is. That's where the rituals and the sacrifices took place. But what is this tabernacle of David? Prior to the reign of David, and during the initial portions of David's reign, the tabernacle, which is the place that had the altar of incense, the, the um, uh, altar of sacrifice, the menorah, it was without the Ark of the Covenant. Because you'll remember in 1 Samuel chapter 6, the Philistines stole it in battle, and then God sent it back to Israel, and it stayed in someone's house 
not the, not the tabernacle, but someone's house, for two generations, Israel was comfortable. Israel was okay with carrying on with business as usual without that which re- represented the presence and the government of God. They made their sacrifices, they initiated their festivals, but they did it without the presence and the government of God. Do you think that if the presence and the government of God left a fellowship that they would even know it was gone? Do you think if the presence and the government of God left your life, you would even know that it was gone? I think, I think yes for us. The Levitical priests carried on the legal portions of Israel's religious life. They offered the sacrifices, initiated, and carried out the various festivals. They went about business, but without that, which represented the presence and the covenant, uh, government of God. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, David has the ark brought back into Jerusalem. And according to 1 Chronicles chapter 15 verse 1, he has a special tent set up just for the ark. This is most likely the tabernacle of David that Amos is referring to. David would go in to this tabernacle of worship and there before the ark of the covenant and that which represented the presence and the government of God, David would worship the Lord. And this was a tabernacle separate from the tabernacle where the offerings and other things took place. Now this only lasted for a season, but that is, in my estimation, that is the only tabernacle of David that Amos could possibly be referring to. And what Amos is prophesying in the ninth chapter of the book that bears his name is that there's coming a day when this fallen tabernacle of David is going to be restored and the men and women who love the Lord will freely come into his presence. Now, ultimately, that tabernacle was restored when Jesus came and ripped the veil from top to bottom. Now, all who will can come and know Jesus and can enter into his presence anytime we want because we are his And he's bought us with his own blood. Do you understand the incredible privilege that each one of us have? We don't have to wait for a special day. We no longer have to wait until the right thing is done and the right words are said. If we want to be in the presence of the Lord, all we have to say is Jesus. To be in the presence of the Lord, to talk to him, to just be with him to open our ears to hear what he might speak to us by his spirit, to open his word and see what he might speak to us by his written word. What a privilege we have. But when was the last time you set aside more than a couple of minutes and just said, Jesus, I want to be with you. I'm not coming to ask for anything. I'm not coming to give you information I'm not here to tell you all the things that I need for you to do. I have no to-do list today. I just want to be with you. The Lord desires that kind of a relationship with us, and it's available if we'll do it. I drive in every day from Mineral Wells, and I've had people say, oh, aren't you exhausted? Oh, no, I'm exhilarated. I use that time to talk to the Lord and to just be with him. I do have some petitions in that time, but I make certain that there's a certain amount of minutes set aside in that drive for me just to be with him and tell him how wonderful he is and how much he has made my life worth living. The presence of the Lord. Zadok is in love with the presence of the Lord. 
And what we see happening in the second Samuel passage is that Zadok chooses the presence of the Lord over the personality and loyalty that he has for David. I think it's time for us to examine our own hearts and ask the question, where do our real loyalties lie? And are we moved by his presence or are we moved by personality? There are churches popping up all over this country and they're not built on the word of God. They are not built on the basics of the Christian faith. They are built on personalities. And the problem with that is that when the personality is no longer there, things are going to fall apart. We are not called to build on wood, hay, and stubble, but we are called to build upon that which is precious, the foundation that's been laid by the apostles and the prophets, and it's simply this, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The Bible is his inspired authoritative word. We are sinners in need of a Savior. We are a people in need of the transforming work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything less than that is something other than the church that Jesus desires to build in our day and in our time. All right. In Ezekiel chapter 44, you want to turn all the way over there. It's the final one. I'm going to start with verse 9 and read through verse 18. Thus says the Lord God, No foreigner, uncircumcised in heart and flesh, of all the foreigners who are among the people of Israel shall enter my sanctuary. But the Levites who went far from me, going astray from me after their idols, when Israel went astray, shall bear their punishment. They shall be ministers in my sanctuary, having oversight at the gates of the temple and ministering in the temple. They shall slaughter the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people, and they shall stand before the people to minister to them, because they ministered to them before their idols and became a stumbling block of iniquity to the house of Israel. Therefore I have sworn concerning them, declares the Lord, and they shall bear their punishment. They shall not come near to me to serve as priests, nor shall they come um, near any of my holy things and the things that are most holy, but they shall bear their shame and the abominations that they have committed. Yet I will appoint them to keep charge of the temple, to do all its services and all that is to be done in it. Verse 15, but the sons of Zadok. you got to love it. And Zadok in Hebrew means righteous or one who walks in righteousness. The sons of righteousness. Boy, doesn't that sound New Testament? The sons of righteousness, the sons of Zadok who kept the charge of my sanctuary when the people of Israel went astray from me, shall come near to me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood, declares the Lord God. They shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall approach my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. When they enter the gates of the inner court, they shall wear linen garments. They shall have nothing of wool on them while they minister at the gates of the inner court and within. They shall have linen turbans on their head and linen undergarments around their waist. They shall not bind themselves with anything that causes sweat. Now skip down to verse 28. This shall be their inheritance, referring to the Zedekites. I am their inheritance, and you shall give them no, po no possession in Israel, for I am their possession. In the book of Ezekiel, through a vision, Ezekiel sees two priesthoods. 
the Levitical and the Zadok. The Levitical priesthood followed the people when they went into idolatry. That's a powerful statement because leaders are supposed to lead, not follow. What they did was instead of leading the people in a different direction, they gave the people what they wanted, not what they needed from the Lord. We have people all around us who, in the name of Christianity, want to give us what we want. Better coffee bars, more dynamic contemporary music, less about Jesus, more about me, less time preaching, more time singing and fellowshipping. But church has never been about us. It's always been about him. When we give people what they want, and I, I am very irritated by this. When someone wants to start a new church, do you know what they typically do? They send out a survey into the neighborhood and ask the neighborhood what they want. If you want to start a new church, the first person you ought to talk to is Jesus. What do you want, Lord? Do you even want me to do this? Where do you want it? We are asking the wrong people the wrong questions. And it ought to be the Lord that we seek. When we give people what they want, it will eventually digress into something that is not Christianity at all. And I think we are seeing that play out all around us. Thank God for tools that help us to understand the culture that we are a part of. But using something as a tool to help us to understand our culture is a very different thing than allowing that to drive us. We are driven and moved only by the Spirit of God, not by someone's report or opinion. These Levitical priests were giving the people what they wanted, not what they needed. They were following the people into idolatry instead of leading them out from idolatry into a right relationship with the Lord. The Levites wanted to stand before the people. They wanted to look important and impress, impress the people. They're the ones that wanted the fancy titles, the big names, the plaques with their names on it, the pictures with their names on it. They're the ones that were interested in looking important to the people, but not to God. They wanted to please people and not God. One of the greatest indictments against us as 21st century Christians is that many of us have become men-pleasers and not God-pleasers because you cannot please both. Because if you please man, you cannot please God. And if you please God, men will not want to be around you until they get saved. The Levites cannot come near to the Lord to minister to him. Look at this. They can minister to the people, or they can at least put on an attempt to minister to the people, but they cannot minister to the Lord. Listen to this. Hear me and hear me well. Our first and primary ministry is not to people. Our first and primary ministry is to the Lord. Because if we have not ministered to him through prayer, through worship, through obedience, through honor... And we have absolutely nothing of value to give anybody around us. Our first ministry is not to people. Our first ministry is to the Lord. We can only minister to people when and after we have ministered to him. Zadok and the sons of Zadok, they did not follow the leadership of the people. When everybody else was running toward idols, Zadok and his sons were running toward the Lord. How many times have we heard this phrase? Oh, everybody else is doing it. I'm just following the crowd. It's the herd instinct. The herd instinct 
has no power and no place over us where sin is concerned. I don't care if everyone else is going. If I'm convicted that it's not honoring to God, I will not go. I will not be a part of it. Others may, but I won't. Because I seek to please God and not man. Zadok did not follow the leadership of the people. He followed the Lord instead. During this time of crisis, when everybody else was running to idols, Zadok and his sons drew near to the Lord's presence. And instead of standing before the people, impressing the people, they stood in the presence of the Lord. And what's the outcome of that? When it's all said and done, Zadok and his sons, they don't inherit the rituals. They inherit the Lord. What do you want to inherit? Do you want to inherit the praise of men? Or do you want to inherit well done, good and faithful servant? Do you want to be a part of something that will burn up and blow away as soon as you're no longer on the scene? Or do you want to be a part of something that's going to last longer than you do? Do you want to invest in that which is material and of time? Or do you want to invest yourself in that which is in eternal and beyond comprehension? To be a God chaser and not a people pleaser. To be a Zadok, a man or a woman of righteousness and not a person who just wants to look good and be important to everyone else around them. So in conclusion, let's summarize this. The priests that did not please God, they were consistent in their behavior and choices. They consistently chose to displease, disobey, and walk away from the Lord. They took that which belonged to the Lord and they fed themselves on it. If someone's giving you honor and glory, that does not belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. And while you can utter a simple thank you and a smile, you know in your heart if you're turning that over and giving it to the Lord. They preferred to be important to people rather than pleasing to the Lord. They loved the admirations of the crowds, and they gave the crowds what they wanted, which was idols. They honored man above God, and they were moved by popular opinion instead of by the prompting of the Lord. The priests that loved God, they were consistent in their behavior and choices as well. They loved the presence of the Lord, which also included the government. And being in the presence of the Lord means being open to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. It means being broken over choices and decisions that you've made. It means being redefined and transformed. It means not being in control. It means allowing your pride to be nailed to the cross so that you can walk humbly with the Lord. But they loved the presence of the Lord. They honored God, not just with words, but by the way that they lived their lives. They ministered freely in the presence of the Lord. Let me ask you this question. We're told in Ezekiel 44 that the Levites were able to minister to the people they were able to do the sacrifices, participate in the rituals, but that only the sons of Zadok were allowed to come into the presence of the Lord and minister to the Lord. Who really ministered to the people? The Levites who were performing for them or the Zadoks who were ministering to the Lord who came out to the people with a fresh word from God? I think that ultimately the Levites may have ministered to the flesh and the desire for habit and ritual 
that the people had, but it was the Zedekites that really ministered the things of the Lord to the people of God. The people of Zadok, they will choose anointing over personal loyalties and personality every time. I don't care how famous, how wonderful, and how charismatic person that person might be. They are not worth the presence and the anointing of God if it came to a choice. People, we have got to get over this rock star mentality. There are no rock stars in the kingdom of God. There are just blood-bought men and women who have been saved by a gracious God who is the true star, who is the true hero of all of our lives. They will follow the Lord and do what is right, even if no one else is going with them. And they minister not so much for the Lord, they minister to the Lord with their worship and their praise and their conviction and with their commitment to his commandments. I think if there's any portion of scripture that might have been written by Zadok, it's going to be Psalm 84. And I want to close tonight by just reading this for you. This is what a Zadok, a man or a woman, that's in love with the presence and the government of God, this is their cry. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. And they go through the valley of weeping or Baca and they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools and they go from strength to strength and each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed for a day in your courts is better than a thousand somewhere else. And I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Lord Jesus, we are here tonight, broken and frail, but we are here. And we ask, my Father, that you cause us to be men and women like Zadok, who love your presence and your government, and will pursue you and minister to you, Lord. Because that's our destiny, and that's your plan for our lives. Help us to be men and women who honor you, who keep your commandments, and who love your presence. For it is in the excellent name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.